Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Bob Mendelson, and this is the Bob's Your Uncle podcast. War in the Middle East. What is this about and can it ever be resolved? Today, you get to hear my opinion. Yep, I'm going to talk about Israel, Palestine, Gaza. What's it about? What's the history? Is there hope? Stay tuned. You can now find us and comment to us wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us what matters to you, what triggers your joy, what bothers you in the world. Let us know. We'll see where the Spirit leads us. Wherever you are just now, whether you're out for your evening constitutional, or you're here in Australia, or back in the United States with friends, or all by yourself with your headset on, these episodes are going to last a little bit longer than usual. Stay with us. I think you'll enjoy or be aggravated by each one. Of note, the opinions are strictly my own and those of my guests. On this date in history, the 6th of December in 1790, Congress, that is the U.S. Congress, moved to Philadelphia from New York City. In 1922, the Anglo-Irish Treaty, which established the Irish Free State, came into force one year to the day after it was signed in London. In 1998, on this day in Venezuela, former Lieutenant Colonel Hugo Chavez, who had staged a bloody coup attempt against the government six years earlier, was elected president. And six years ago, in 2017, on the 6th of December, President Donald Trump declared Jerusalem to be Israel's capital, defying warnings from the Palestinians and others around the world that he'd be destroying hopes for Mideast peace. And that's the historical marker of the week. Today I get to share my views. From about 1500 BCE until 70 CE, some of you still think in 1500 BC and 70 AD, that's fine. The Jewish people owned and occupied legally the land we call Israel today. During some of that period, Israel and Judah, Israel the north, Judah the south, were conquered by Persia or by the Babylonians. Neither of those peoples exist today, by the way. At the time of Yeshua, Jesus you might call him, this land, nicknamed the Holy Land, was part of the Roman Empire, 
and Roman law and customs were being imposed on the Jewish people. The Jews didn't like the Romans. There was always a great deal of tension between them. The Roman emperor was called or titled Caesar. And the Romans officially evicted the Jewish people in 135 CE. 65 years after destroying the temple, the holy temple and the other holy places in Jerusalem, in 135 CE, Rome renamed the country we call Israel as Palestine. Honestly, very few people wanted to live there. It's a desert. Not much by way of population lived there, and most were nomadic during the centuries that followed. In the 4th to the 7th centuries, Jewish population sat at about 25% of the population of the land. That means they'd moved back. Most scholars consider that the proportion of Jews decreased during those centuries, a loss of dominance not related to any specific diaspora, and the dates are not agreed by any historians. For instance, by counting settlements, Aviona estimated that Jewish people comprised half the population of the Galilee up north at the end of the third century and a quarter in the other parts of the country, but it declined to about 10 or 15 percent of the total uh, by 614 CE. On the other hand, by counting churches and synagogues, others estimate the Jewish fraction at 25% in the Byzantine period. Sternberger considers the Jews were the largest population group at the beginning of the fourth century, closely followed by the pagans. In contrast to Aviona, Schiffman estimated that Christians only became the majority of the country's population at the beginning of the 5th century. Well, then came the Ottomans, and finally the splits after World War I. Take the following stats, for instance, in the thousands, Jews, Christians, Muslims. In 1533, there were 5,000 Jews living in the land, 6,000 Christians and 145,000 people who converted to Islam. By 1890, which is the beginning, we would say, of the Zionism, of recognized Zionism in port parts of the world. Um, in, by 1890, 43,000 Jews lived in the land. That's just not very many compared to 7 million today. Uh, 57,000 Christians lived in the land and 430,000 Muslims. So only a total of uh, half a million people lived in what we call Israel today uh, at the near the turn of the 19th century. By 1947, so right before the state of Israel was declared by the United Nations, 630,000 Jews had lived there. So Massive, uh, uh, half a million Jews moved there in the first half of the 20th century. There were 1,100,000 Muslims. There were 143,000 Christians. In 1937, the Peel Commission offered a two-state solution where most of the land was going to be Arab. You, you can Google this and Look at the chart. I mean, the, the map is significantly, I think, two-thirds Arab. Jerusalem was not in Jewish hands. Akko and Tzfad up north, down to Tel Aviv, to Rehoboth in the west, 
Nazareth to the north was Jewish. Nablus south was all Arab. Uh, this was rejected by the leaders of the Arab nations around Israel. While the state of Israel was established on the 15th of May in 1948 and admitted to the United Nations, a Palestinian state was not established. The remaining territories of pre-1948 Palestine, the West Bank, which included East Jerusalem, and the Gaza Strip, which now most everybody knows where that is, were administered from 1948 till 1967 by Jordan, the West Bank, and Egypt, the Gaza, respectively. Some title this the Nakba, or catastrophe. Following the collapse of the Ottoman Empire after World War I and the establishment of the Palestine Mandate, the British colonial power began implementing its plan of creating a Jewish state on what they titled Palestinian land, but it's, <laughs> it's where Jews, Christians, and Muslims lived. There was no Palestinian authority. There was no government of Palestine. England and France ran the place. In 1939, the British White Paper proposed the creation of a unitary Arab state. In 1947, the UN would have created an even larger Arab state as part of its partition plan but that was rejected by the Arab League. Then 1948, the Arab-Israeli War broke out when five Arab nations invaded territory in the former Palestinian Mandate, immediately following the announcement by the UN of the independence of the State of Israel. In 1974, the UN recognized the PLO, Palestinian Liberation organization under Yasser Arafat as the sole authority representing the Palestinian people. The 1979 Egypt-Israel peace negotiations offered the Palestinians autonomy, which would almost certainly have led to full independence. Then in the 1990s, you might remember the Oslo Accord. It was laid out for Palestinian independence, but the process was derailed by Arab terrorism. In the year 2000, Prime Minister of Israel, Ehud Barak, offered to create a Palestinian state in all of Gaza and 97% of Samaria, or what's nicknamed the West Bank. This again was rejected by the PA, that's the new name, the Palestinian Authority, which replaced or retitled the PLO. Same people, same rejections. 2005, you probably remember, you've heard it over and over in these last two months, that the uh, Gaza Strip was given over. All Jews were asked to leave by Israel. Gaza, you can have your own place. In 2008, Prime Minister Ehud Olmert offered to withdraw from almost the entire West Bank and partition Jerusalem on a demographic basis. Um, in, in addition, from 1948 to 1967, Israel did not control the West Bank. The Palestinians could have demanded an independent state from the Jordanians who controlled it, but they didn't. On the contrary, while Jordan was in control, Arafat said there was no longer a claim as it was no longer part of Palestine. Once, however, in 1967, after the Six-Day War, uh, when 
uh, Jerusalem was back in Israeli hands, it miraculously became disputed land again. One of the many reasons that most Jews, most Israelis, are cynical. The Palestinians have spurned each of these opportunities. I'm sure there are lots of reasons. A variety of reasons have been given for why the Palestinians have, in Abba Iban's words, never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Historian Benny Morris has suggested that the Palestinians have religious, historical, and practical reasons for opposing an agreement with Israel. He says, quote, Arafat and his generation cannot give up the vision of the greater land of Israel for the Arabs. This is true, he says, because this is a holy land. Dar al-Islam, that's the world of Islam, it was once in the hands of the Muslims, and it's inconceivable to them that infidels like us, the Israelis, would receive it, end quote. The Palestinians also believe that time is on their side. They feel that demographics will defeat the Jews in 100 or 200 years, just like the Crusaders. The Palestinians, Morris says, also hope the Arabs will acquire nuclear weapons in the future that will allow them to defeat Israel. In the year 2000, then-Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak offered to withdraw from 97% of the West Bank and 100% of the Gaza. In addition, he agreed to dismantle 63 isolated settlements in exchange for the 3% annexation of the West Bank. Israel said it would give up territory down south in the Negev that would increase the size of the Gaza territory by roughly a third. Barak also made previously unthinkable concessions on Jerusalem, agreeing that Arab neighborhoods there in East Jerusalem would become the capital of the new state, the, the second state. The Palestinians would maintain control over their holy places and have religious sovereignty over the Temple Mount. Do you remember Dennis Ross? He was the U.S. peace negotiator some years ago. He, he, he said that Israel offered to create a Palestinian state that was contiguous, not a series of cantons. Even in the case of the Gaza Strip, which must be physically separate from the West Bank, unless Israel were to be cut into non-contiguous pieces itself. A solution was devised whereby an overland highway would connect the two parts of the Palestinian state without any Israeli checkpoints or interference. The proposal also addressed the Palestinian refugee issue, guaranteeing them the right of return to the Palestinian state and reparations from a fund that was given $30 billion as a start that would be collected from international donors to compensate them. In his last conversation with President Clinton, Yasser Arafat, who, by the way, always was dressed in military garb, told the President Clinton that he was a great man. Clinton responded, The hell I am. I'm a colossal failure, and you made me one. It's Clinton's quote. Arafat was asked to agree to Israeli sovereignty over the parts of the Western Wall religiously significant to Jews, not the entire Temple Mount that would be governed by the, uh, the Palestinian Authority, and three early warning stations in the Jordan Valley, which Israel would withdraw from after six years. Most important, however, Arafat was expected to agree that the conflict with Israel was over 
at the end of the negotiations, this was the true deal breaker. Arafat was not willing to end the conflict. Dennis Ross said, for him to end the conflict is to end himself. The prevailing view of the Camp David White House negotiations that Israel offered generous concessions and that Yasser Arafat rejected them to pursue the war that began in September of 2000 was acknowledged for more than a year. To counter the perception that Arafat was the obstacle to peace, the Palestinians and their supporters began to suggest a variety of excuses for why Arafat failed to say yes to a proposal that would have established a Palestinian state. I think the truth is that if the Palestinians were dissatisfied with any part of the Israeli proposal, all they had to do was offer a counterproposal, which they never did. Remember, 1947, the petition plan of the UN, Jerusalem was going to be an international city, and there were going to be six other sections of the land, three for Jews, three for Arabs. A section of Samaria, the West Bank, was Arab. The Jewish state, sl Jewish state slivered some of the area south from Beersheba to Elat. The Golan was Arab, as well as half the full land of today. It was rejected. The Palestinian people, or at least their leaders in 1947, said no. And to quote from their papers, we will annihilate Israel. They still said no and they've rallied the world to join their chorus today from the river to the sea palestine will be free 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 of what free of jews no israel as a jewish homeland i wanted to read um, from 15 years ago something dennis miller wrote i don't even know if dennis miller the comedian the commentator. He was on Saturday Night Live for years. I don't know if I don't know if this actually is his. Uh, maybe you'll just Google it later and find out what a, a particular Dennis Miller said about the land of Israel back in 2008. He said, or some of it is this: chew this around and spit it out. 500 million Arabs, five million Jews. Think of all the Arab countries as a football field and Israel as a pack of matches sitting in the middle of it. And now these same folks swear that if Israel gives them half of that pack of matches, everyone will be pals. Really? That's good, but what about the string of wars to obliterate the tiny country and the constant din of rabid blood oaths to drive every Jew into the sea? Uh, there's lots more. Look, I mean no disrespect to those who are suffering. I mean no harm to any whose children or the, the children who've died in the recent conflict or whose children are now orphans in the recent conflict. What is clear is that Hamas is not a friend of humanity. From the river to the sea is a call to eradicate the Jewish people, and that's not a good thing in any way, in any shape in any form. As tomorrow begins the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, a story with such similar themes as the current conflict, with hatred and intention to destroy, to ruin the Jewish people, it's time to say, thanks be to God for saving us in 165 BCE, for saving us from Nazi horror 
1945, for saving us most of all in Yeshua when he died and rose again while we were under Roman occupation. All believers, whether Arab or Jewish, those who follow Yeshua, sometimes called Jesus or Jesus, believers are marginalized, and I stand with them. And I think that the Arab Christians are the most marginalized people today. Listen, this is a complex and complexifying situation. It's not going away any day soon. What we hope, what I hope, is that all hostages are released now, that ceasefire can happen, that Hamas can be voted out and then shrivel. If it has to be demolished, so be it. That all citizens of the land of the Bible can be free to enjoy life and peace. The season on us, Hanukkah, and Christmas itself is about love and hope and freedom. And it's for all people. It's for you. It's for me, for our families, for our loved ones. I'll speak about this more in the future, to be sure. For now, on the 6th of December, this is Bob Mendelson. Shalom from Tennessee. you write me, bobmendo at aol.com, or comment on an Instagram or TikTok to me. I'd love to know what you're thinking. 